lovely Easter morning. Lovely sunshine outside always makes us feel happier, doesn't it? But welcome. If it's your first time here, great to see you. Make yourself known to someone. If it's not, welcome all the same. Great to see you still. Um, well, I'm going to start by reading something, and then we'll get into some worship. So we'll, we'll, we'll read first, and we'll just pray, and we'll take it from there. Okay. So this is from John 20. We're reading verse 19 through to the end. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's just a great portion, isn't it, to read and remember today as we just remember that Jesus is alive. Um, all right, shall we stand? We'll pray and then we'll sing. Father, we just, um, we just come to you, Lord, exactly as we are, God. Um, amidst of trials and difficulties and tests, Lord, amidst um, joyfulness and rejoicing, God, we just ask for your presence here with us, Lord. Would you help us, God, as we sing to you? Would you help us, Lord, um, just to bring ourselves before you today? Um, God, we just want to hear from you today. We want to receive from you, Lord. We want to minister one to another. Would you just empower us with your Holy Spirit, Lord? And I just pray, Lord, that as we sing these songs, God, um, even in the midst of uh, difficulties or in the midst of rejoicing, Lord, we just lift up our hearts to you, Lord, to give glory to who you are, Lord. Um, would you help us to do that? Amen. You, my God, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this, I'm sure. You are my God and you saved my soul. I was lost when you came for me, held in chains by the enemy, but you broke them in victory. Now I'm free, I am free. You're my joy and you are my hope. I am saved by your grace alone. I will sing of your love for me. I am free, I am free. 
has won, hallelujah. The kingdom has come, oh, in Jesus, oh, in Jesus, hallelujah. And death is undone, hallelujah. Jesus has won, hallelujah. The kingdom has come, oh, in Jesus, oh, in Jesus, thank you, God, that we have hope, Lord, that you are alive. We thank you, Lord, that even in suffering, even in the difficulties of this world, Lord, we have that hope that, Jesus, you are with us, that you said you would never leave us or forsake us, that you're with us to the very end of the age. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, guys. It's great. Oh, a great song. If you brought a Bible, turn in your Bibles to Luke, uh, sorry, not Luke, I'm in John. What am I thinking? To John chapter 20. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and an usher will bring you one. Just raise your hand and an usher will bring you a Bible. John chapter 20. It's the verses that were read uh, earlier today. Uh, we're not going to look at from verse 19, but from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. And I really want to talk about how difficult it can be for us to believe. It can be hard for us to believe, especially when things are difficult, when days are dark. It can be hard for us to believe that God is real, that God is good. It can be hard for us to, to, to wonder, can we trust this God when our life feels like it's fallen apart? And the reason we celebrate Resurrection Sunday is because, one, it's a historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But two, it implies, it, it results in having hope precisely when we're in the dark, when things are difficult. We have a future and we have a hope because Jesus is alive. And in this, in the situation we look at today, the story we're looking at this morning is the story of everyone knows this guy, Doubting Thomas. And it's funny that we call him Doubting Thomas because actually we should call him Unbelieving Thomas because in the text, this is what's happened to him. He's come to a place where he's just like, I don't know if I want to believe any of this. This is someone who's walked with Jesus for three and a half years. This is someone who heard his sermons. Someone who, who saw the miracles that John says, we haven't even written those, wrote those ones down. This is one who, who was so close to Jesus, hand-picked by Jesus to follow him, and because he didn't see him risen the way the others had had, he thought, I don't know. 
And I hope that as we talk about this today, that you're encouraged, that you're encouraged that, that Jesus is able to overcome not just sin, not just sickness, not just demons, not even just death. He's even able to overcome your unbelief. He can do this. So we, what I want to do really is, is I want to give you three things to consider if you're struggling to believe this Easter. Three things to consider. Let's go back at verse 24 of chapter 20 of John. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. He obviously had a twin brother, but we'll talk more about why he might be called the twin. Was not with them when Jesus came, so that the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, now we, we know from the story, right, that, that, that Thomas hears this and he's not convinced just by his friends saying, we've seen the Lord. Not enough for him. And, and it's, it, it's, it's tempting to go, oh, Thomas, he was the doubter. But actually, all these guys, before Jesus showed up, weren't sure about this. Because if you remember the story, they weren't the first ones to see the risen Christ, were they? It was the women that were with them. Their company, the part of their company were these women who had seen the first to see Christ resurrected, the first to announce Christ resurrected. And initially, the disciples didn't believe him. We read this in Luke's gospel, Luke 24. It says, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told, them, told these things, that is of Christ being risen, to the apostles. But these words seemed like an idle tale and they did not believe him. Oh, these emotional women. They're seeing things they, that aren't really there. They were dismissive. In a very real sense, he, he, here's the first consideration. What are the reasons for your skepticism? Why do you find it hard to believe? Are you kind of like the disciples? There's a bit of prejudice where you go, you know, I don't think these people are as trustworthy as, as they make themselves out to be. Because in a sense, that's the, what the disciples did to the women. Ah, women, I don't know if you can really trust the testimony of a woman, can you? I know that's horribly offensive sexism, but that's what was there. And we do the same thing. We can think, you know, Christians, really? They're a bit weird. I mean, this is what I felt. As an as a 18-year-old asking the big questions of life, looking around my American high school and seeing all the Christian young people there, girls were okay. They were kind of cute. That was all right. The guys, nerds, goofballs. And I thought, what do these guys know? All afraid of me. What do they know? And there was a prejudice. These guys are, these people are those that are maybe less than trustworthy. You know, this is actually one of the things that happened with religious people towards Jesus. The most religious people, the people that were supposedly expecting God to send his chosen king, the most religious people who even saw Jesus do his miracles didn't believe. We read about this in John chapter 12. That though Jesus had done many signs before these religious people, they still did not believe them. Why? Because they thought, no, we, we, we don't know if we can trust this guy because this guy says things that we don't necessarily believe. He's challenging our assumptions. This is what we do. This is human nature. We, we can be skeptical because we are prejudiced. We think people that aren't like us not our gender, not our color, not our culture, not our religious upbringing. They can't possibly know what we know. This is what we do. And it keeps us from seeing Jesus for who he is. 
But there's another reason. Look at the second part of verse 25. What, what Thomas says. Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hand the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Wow. That's a strong statement, isn't it? Here, here Thomas is saying this. And why is he saying this? This is what I think it is. I think it's self-protection. I think this is another reason why we tend to be skeptical. We have been hurt or wronged or disappointed, and we don't want it to happen again. I trusted someone before, and they let me down. I'm not trusting anybody else. In fact, I've met some people that have, have been burned in every relationship in their life, maybe from their parents, from a lover, maybe in their workplace, And so when you're wanting to show them that the Jesus of the scriptures is different and you want to present him to them, they're going, you know what, that sounds good, maybe too good to be true. And I'm afraid that if I go there and I'm disappointed, there'll be nothing left to turn to. Self-protection. I wonder if that was what was going on with Thomas. The reason he was struggling to believe was because he had put his hope in Jesus being the Messiah. He had seen the miracles. He had heard the teaching. He thought, this has to be God's chosen king. And then when he dies, he thinks this is not how it's supposed to happen. Why are you skeptical? Consider the reasons. What's keeping you from believing? What we see in verse 26, what happens, right? Here's the second thing I want you to consider. I want you to consider the story of this converted skeptic, Thomas. What happens? Verse 26, we see Jesus meets Thomas in his unbelief. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, if you remember what we just read, or if you look up in your scriptures, uh, just a couple verses up, it's almost identical to what happened before. A week before, on the res- first Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus shows up into this room that was locked, he kind of appears. The resurrected Jesus can do this, right? And all, the ten disciples that were there see this and like, oh, wow. And he says to them, peace be you. And in a sense, here's what's going on. Jesus is giving Thomas the exact same experience as the other ten disciples. He said, okay, if Thomas, if you need this, I'm going to give it to you. Here's what it is. In fact, we don't want to miss this, okay? Please don't miss this. This is Jesus pursuing the skeptic with irrefutable evidence. That's what he's doing. Now, you might have heard this said, someone might have said to you, if you can argue somebody into the kingdom of God, you can argue them out of that. You ever heard anybody say that before? And there's some truth to that. Becoming a Jesus follower isn't just about making a rational decision. It's more than that. There's something supernatural that has to take place. But there's a reality here, listen, that when we talk about following a resurrected Jesus, we're talking about an historical reality. We're talking about someone who didn't just say, let me tell you about God, but someone who claimed to be God's very only son, did the things that only God could do, pierces history in a way that's verifiable, and predicts his own death and then resurrection and shows himself to several hundred people at once. I brought with me just a little, a little visual. These are just some 
of the apologetics books I have on my shelf. Just some. I brought these ones because these are the ones that be honest I'm willing to give away. You can have one of these if you want, if you're willing to read them. Apologetics, uh, it doesn't mean someone's saying, I'm so sorry, I'm a Christian. That's not what apologetics is. Apologetics is giving a defense, a reasonable defense for the faith. It shows the reasonableness of believing the scriptures as, uh, as being God's word, the reasonableness of the resurrection of Christ, the reasonableness for a creator God, those sorts of things. And I have to say to you, as someone who used to be a pretty cynical, as someone who then had this radical conversion experience, and then as someone who two years later was thinking, okay, I'm kind of missing the stuff I did before I was a Christian, when I began to read about the, how trustworthy the Christian faith was, I thought I'd be a fool to turn my back on this Jesus. I have a book here that you could read if you're in a place right now where all the current cultural battles are causing you to want to maybe destruct, deconstruct your faith. Got a book for you right here. Maybe, maybe if you're just kind of going, I just have these certain questions. I'm, I'm kind of confused about kind of some of the things that Christians say. Oh, if you could ask God one question. Got a book for you right there. What about just the Bible in general? Can I actually trust the Bible's you know, God's word? Is there reasonableness in trusting that this scripture that's 2,000 years old is something that's applicable for us today and is inspired and trustworthy? Yeah, got a book right there. <coughs> evolution, man. It's all about evolution. We know evolution just kind of ruins the whole thing, you know. Well, let's talk about Dawkins and how deluded he actually is. One there, right for you, right there. All right. What about just all the religions? You know, the fact is there's all these other religions. These people are sincere people, kind people, moral people. Certainly you can't say. It's narrow to say Jesus is the only way. Got one for you right there. I'm interested in creation. I'm interested in that kind of stuff. How does that work? How do we know that the Bible is trustworthy, that Christianity is true? Well, this was written actually by a guy who's, uh, he and his son, who were both uh, 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 geologists and lecturers at secular universities who also happen to study theology. Here you go, one right there. New Testament documents. This is a little bit more heady. So if you're more of an academic, it's a small book, but it's a little bit heady. You want to know the trustworthiness of New Testament documents? There you go, one right there. If you're really clever and you want to show off, you can read this one. How do we know Jesus was historically true? This kind of takes all the best arguments and goes deeper with those. You can have any of these books as long as you read them. I, I'm saying this because, obviously, I don't think me dropping a bunch of books on the ground is going to convince you. What I'm saying is this. Why are you skeptical? Think about it. What's holding you back from believing in this resurrected Jesus? Because Jesus wants to meet you there as he met Thomas. The scripture says, listen, for the Son of Man, Jesus says this about himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I don't know why each of you came. I, I, I know many of you very well. And many of you, I, I gladly and enthusiastically call brothers and sisters in Christ because I see the fruit in your lives. But I don't know your hearts, but Jesus knows your hearts. And you might be here because you think it's the right thing to do, but you're here because he is pursuing you. Whether you've been professing faith in Jesus for 20 years or you're just still looking. Jesus met Thomas in his unbelief. And how did Thomas respond? In verse 28, when, when, well, I should say Jesus says to them, right, verse 27 first, he said to him, Thomas, put your finger here see my, and see my hands, put out your hand 
and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I think it's important too, before we actually go on to Thomas's response, to, to think about this for a second. When Jesus says this to Thomas, he's giving him a command. He's not begging Thomas to trust him. Oh, please, Thomas, you can trust me. He's giving him a command. He's saying, Thomas, you need to believe. I'm right here. And the reason this is important is because sometimes as Christians or people who are possibly interested in Christianity, we wrestle so much with the sins that we think Christians will condemn us for. And the sins that we think that God will never be able to deal with. Or that I don't even know if I've ever let go of. We think these, these individual sins are the big deal. But you know what the biggest sin is that we're all guilty of? Unbelief. Because he calls us to trust him. As he called Thomas. And he's proven himself trustworthy. So how does Thomas respond? Verse 28. Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. Now, this is great. I love this response. I love this response because this is Thomas proving that he was paying attention. <laughs> Thomas was listening to three and a half years of the most amazing teaching you can possibly imagine under Jesus. He's hearing the very revelation of God coming through the very revelation of God. He is hearing Truth unpacked in a way, truth personified in a way that has never happened before or since. He, he's seen and spending time with God in the flesh. But when this happens, when the cross happens, when he's, Jesus is rejected by Israel as a nation, when he's crucified by the Romans as an innocent man, he's thinking this, this can't be, this can't be him. But when Jesus shows up, he goes, oh, I was wrong. It's him. This is my Lord and my God. Listen, the resurrection of Christ confirms to Thomas everything that Jesus revealed about himself. Everything. So when Thomas says, Jesus, you're my Lord, he's saying, Jesus, you're worthy to be obediently followed. And know this, this is what we're, we're encouraging you guys towards today. We encourage you to believe, not just kind of make an intellectual sense that, okay, it makes sense historically, I think maybe Jesus is alive. That's good. It's a good place to start, but that's not what Jesus calls us to. That's not why he chose his disciples. It's not why he chooses us. He calls us to obediently follow him. Your Lord, I, you, you know better how to run my life. As God, Jesus calls us to exclusive worship. We don't just worship Jesus as one of many gods. He's the only God there is. Yes, we worship a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, but we know that triune God through the revelation of Jesus. You see, what happens is when Jesus meets Thomas's unbelief, Thomas responds to who Jesus is. Easter is not about an event, but about what that event proves about the person who resurrected. See, I'm convinced historically in the historicity of Jesus and his resurrection. Absolutely convinced. But I don't follow a truth. I follow him. Interesting. 
how Jesus responds to Thomas because he said, Jesus says to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now this is interesting because I, when I was looking through this, I actually wrote in my notes when I was doing my prep, I actually wrote this question. How come Jesus doesn't just show up to each of us like this? I mean, I, I knew the answer, but I thought, you know, that's, that's kind of a question that comes to my mind when I read this. Why doesn't he just show up? I mean, wouldn't that be easier? All right, Lord, show yourself. He appears in your room. Go ahead. Everyone else has to do it right there. Why doesn't he just do that? Well, he doesn't do that because he says we don't need that. He says what we really need is to believe the lives of these people who did see it. See, this is the whole point of the scriptures. The whole point of the scriptures, specifically the New Testament, the New Testament is the testimony of these men who walked with the resurrected Jesus. And their lives were radically changed by it, and, and they suffered greatly because of it. This is why when, you know, you guys know the story of Judas, of course. He betrays Jesus. He doesn't go back to Jesus after he knows he was wrong. Instead, he goes and he hangs himself. He had to be replaced. And so in Acts chapter 1, we see this whole, this whole process. of they're going, look, we've got to choose somebody else. And here's the criteria for choosing a replacement for, G, uh, for Judas. Listen, Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. So, when, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up that's ascended to heaven. One of these men must become, notice, with us, a witness to his resurrection. Because men like Thomas, though he doubted, though he was a skeptic, once he knew Jesus was alive, his life was about Jesus, even if it meant giving up his own dreams, even if it meant doing things that were difficult, even if it meant dying because he couldn't deny what he knew to be true. Jesus is alive. This is what he called me to. See, Thomas saw so we can believe. We can trust the testimony. Now, now, let me ask you, because at this point you might be thinking, okay, okay, that's kind of, isn't that a circular reasoning? You say we should believe the scripture because of Jesus, and we should believe Jesus because of the scripture. Isn't that circular reasoning? That's not what I'm saying. I think we should believe the scripture because it's historically verifiable, not because it's inspired. I believe it's inspired because of Jesus' view of the scriptures. That's a whole other thing, but it's not a circular reasoning. What this is, is this, listen, we tend to be skeptical, as I said, why? Because we're prejudiced. It's amazing how people said, you can't use the Bible to prove Jesus. Why not? That's like saying, you can't use a history book to prove Napoleon. What else are you going to use? Now, there's extra biblical evidence for the historicity of Jesus, but the scripture is the record, the historically verifiable record, that he is who he said he is, and he did what he said he did. And this is important. It's important because as we consider the story of this converted skeptic, Thomas, we need to recognize not just how he was converted, but who converted him. This brings us to our third consideration. We need to consider the man who's changed our world. Jesus. He's changed our world. Do you know right now, there are 52 countries where it is at least dangerous to have a Bible. 52. 
why is it that we live in a country that not only we can have a Bible, but we can have any religious book we want. We can put, almost believe anything we want to, almost, in this country. Why is it in the West that we, we're so concerned that we educate everybody? Why is it in the West that we make a concerted corporate effort to, to move funds towards the poor and the most marginalized? Why is it in the West that we think of equality or see uh, con- uh, consent as the, a premier thing about where, how sexuality should happen? Why is it that we say that the strong should protect the weak? Where does any of that come from? This book, this man, Jesus. He did these things and it's had an impact on us. That doesn't mean that, that everyone who does those things believes in Jesus. Obviously, that's not the case at all. But this man's changed the world. So here's the thing. Here's, here's what John says. This is kind of a summary statement for all the gospel of John, not just our section in verse 30. John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The scriptures are what we might call an accurate introduction to the living God. When John says there's so much more we could have written, but we didn't, this is not John kind of saying we couldn't think of anything else to say. This is John saying, you don't really need to know more. If you have a dead prophet that you want to protect all his words, you write down everything he possibly said or did, right? But if you have a living Savior, all you need to do is introduce him. This is the Jesus we want you to meet. He's alive. You can know him yourself. You just give as much as needed. And John's whole point is, this is what you need. This is enough for you to know the Jesus that is calling you to trust him. It's enough. Know it. Read it. Make your decision. But here's the reality. We don't ever trust someone that we don't know. I mean, if you're gullible enough to trust someone you don't know, and I've not met you, I'd really like to sell you a car. It's in my driveway. (laughs) Runs great. Now, here's the reality. When, when John says these things were written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the fact that he's identifying Jesus and the fact he's identifying him as the Christ and the fact he's identifying him as the Son of God, these are all important things about who we know. We know Christianity has changed the world. Okay, we'll give you that. But what about this man, Jesus? Well, the fact that he's called Jesus reminds us, listen, that he is as human as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is not a ghost. He's not just an historical figure. He's a living human being. He's real. He's fully man. He's not part man, part God. Fully man, fully God. He's fully man. And you know what that means? It means he can know our weaknesses and our sufferings firsthand. It means that our beloved Hubbards and Howes and Papule family, that they are 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 going through difficult times and Jesus is only not only with them by his spirit, but he knows exactly that suffering. He knows physical suffering. He knows personal suffering. He knows relational suffering. He knows emotional suffering. He knows it all. But it also means he's overcome them. 
because he's without sin. So we don't just have a, a, a God who empathizes with us. We have a God who helps us overcome, who helps us go get through it. He's called the Christ. That means literally the anointed one or the chosen one. It's the word in scripture used to describe God's chosen king. Kings are always anointed. He's the Christ. He's God's chosen king. And as God's chosen king, here's how he's presented. He's presented as the one whose rule rights every wrong. Any justice warriors out there? You're spinning your wheels in the mud, man, unless you're trusting Jesus. Because he alone can bring real justice. He rights every wrong. You know what that means also? He knows how best to rule our lives right now. We can trust him right now. He's the son of God. You know what that means? As John says earlier in this book, or as Jesus said earlier, as John recorded that Jesus is God's only begotten son. We're, we're children of God. We're adopted in because of Jesus, but we're not natural born children. Only he is. Not in a physical sense naturally born, though his, in humanity he is, but he is, he is God the son. Which, what this means basically is that he is the exclusive and sufficient revelation of the goodness of God. I don't believe God is good because my life's been so wonderful. Though my life's been pretty good. I, I can't really complain. I believe in the goodness of God because of Jesus. When I look at circumstances, even just the circumstances of the last couple of weeks, it is sometimes going, God, I don't get it. Why? But I look at Jesus and I think, no, Lord, you are good. I have to believe you're good because I look at Jesus and I come to no other conclusion. And Jesus is your son. And if he spoke of your love and your goodness to a point that would, it would motivate him to go to the cross, I can believe you're that good. If you were in him, as the scripture says, reconciling us back to yourself, I can believe you're that good. Now, John, when he gives a synopsis of his gospel, he's saying, listen, the whole reason I've written this is that you can believe. And when I say believe, I don't just make, mean, again, making an intellectual assent that, that this Jesus rose from the dead three days after he was crucified. Okay, that makes sense. Or just an intellectual assent to, yes, these are the titles that were given to him, and, and I guess they make sense. He's calling us to believe. And to believe means, listen, it means to experience him through relationship. It means to trust him. It means to trust him. The way we overcome our cynicism, our skepticism, is through relationship. All of us have been burned by people. And all of us have burned people. And the temptation when we're in that place is to kind of keep some sort of distance from one another. Man, I'll tell you, one of the most amazing things about the last few weeks of walking with the Hubbards and walking with the Howes specifically in these very dark hours as they're watching their children potentially die 
is to see how they ministered to each other. On Tuesday, I drove Alan down to Addenbrooke's and sent a, a, a text to Zoe saying, hey, I'll, I'll try to come see you as well. I'm not allowed to get into the wards. It's a bit tricky, but we thought we'd somehow try to make it happen. And we're, we're in the calf, uh, Sarah and, and Alan and I, and having a cup of coffee and just crying together and reading the Psalms and just trying to get through. And Zoe walks up. I know I shouldn't tell a story. And Zoe walks up, and Alan sees Zoe. Two parents whose children, they don't know if they're going to live. Two parents who should be turning in on themselves and just, just being overwhelmed with their own grief. And they look at each other and think, how can I minister to you? They serve each other. And, and I watch this. And as I watch them serve each other, I think, there's God. God's doing that. That is another evidence of Jesus being alive. That, that, that he is, his goodness is seen in how he helps his people love each other when they got nothing left to give. And there's a beauty there. There's a beauty there. That I don't know if it can be seen unless we go through some of these things. The resurrection is such an amazing reality. Because when Christ is suffering for the sins of the world on the cross, when he's going through the most ultimate injustice, at the place when he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In a sense, calling the people to look at Psalm 22, see prophecy fulfilled, and, and, and feeling the weight of God's judgment that should be on you and on me, feeling the weight of that on himself. When he sees that, we're thinking, how much worse could it get? And then three days later, he's alive. And the cross was not for naught. We have hope. We have forgiveness. We have a power by his Holy Spirit to love each other when things are darker than we can imagine. This is what we're called to believe. This is what gives purpose to our pain. We're going to sing another song. I'm going to ask the music team to come back up. And we're going to close with a song. As we get ready to close with this song, I want to encourage you. I want you to think about the things that make you skeptical. And I want to challenge you to deal with those things. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight. I'm not, I'm not naive, think you're going to read one book, it's going to be fine. I've been a Christian for 34 years. I still struggle with my own skepticism. But what I am absolutely convinced of and what the scriptures testify of 
is that this Jesus is alive and he's trustworthy. And you can know him. And it would be glorious for you to know him today. I'm going to let these guys sing the song. I'm going to come back up in a minute. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what we've said. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe your response today is going to be, I'll just take one of them books, please. You can take a couple if you want. But maybe your response is, no, I need this Jesus. And we want to pray with you. Let's stand and sing this song together. And then I'll come up and I'll close this in prayer. How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation. Turn to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is real. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory. To end my sin and bend my shame. The cross has spoken. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ. My living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my
want to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the morning then came the morning that sealed the promise your very It's really uh, important that you respond to what the Lord's been doing in your heart today. It really is important. Maybe you're just realizing that your skepticism is unwarranted and you need to do some more investigation. Seriously, I'm, I want to give these books away. You'll help me out. They're good books, but I need some more room on my shelf. Maybe you're in a place today where you've realized that I've made a mental assent to who Jesus is, but I haven't followed him as my Lord and my God. And today's the day. The longer you sit under God's word, the longer you make a profession with your mouth that your heart doesn't agree with, the harder your heart's going to get. Let's break that today. Let's bring you, let's, let's, by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit, let's see if you're willing to, to move forward in that. We believe God can do that. Or maybe today you're just being introduced to this Jesus and you're going, I'm intrigued, I want to know him. We want to pray with you for that. You may have noticed there was a, during the announcement loop, there was a picture of house groups. It's the same picture on the back table Many of the people who host and lead those house groups are here today. You can ask them. If you don't want to ask me, you can ask them. I'm going to leave the books on that speaker. You can ask any of these guys on the band. I'm putting them on the spot, but I, I know them well enough to know that they'd be cool to talk with you. 
But if you need prayer for anything, if you have any questions about anything, let's, let's, this is Resurrection Day, man. Let's, let's get resurrected. <laughs> Amen? Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much that you're alive, Lord Jesus. Help us to have that, to celebrate that as we continue to walk with you and love one another. Lord, I pray a blessing on these guys. I pray that the rest of their Sunday would be glorious. Make yourself known. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I think there's some more cakes over there, so help yourselves. We'll see you soon.